You're listening to the audio version of the Frontline documentary, America's Great Divide, From Obama to Trump. Here is Episode 7. Trump's first acts as president were also meant to stoke conflict. Next is an executive order minimizing the economic burden of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act pending repeal. He signed a raft of executive orders on some of the most divisive issues in American life and politics. More than 200 possible executive orders for the new president's consideration. On Obamacare. And this was associated with Obamacare. The environment. Speeding up environmental reviews and approvals. Immigration. And the border wall. Daily Wire editor Ben Shapiro. I do think that they wanted to have a flurry of activity at the beginning to demonstrate that, that Trump is what he said he was. He's not going to wait. He's not going to take his time. He knows what to do, and he's going to fix everything. He's going to set the world right immediately. Former Trump strategist Steve Bannon. And the message is, it's a crisis. We're at work, and we're driving this. Donald Trump's president of the United States. Now comes the hour of action. There's been enough talk. Steve Bannon kept a list on his office wall of the promises that the president was trying to deliver on. Former Trump aide Cliff Sims. People talk all the time about everything that Trump does politically is a base play. Since Steve Bannon being the example of the one who encourages him to, you know, let's play to the base, let's play to the base, let's play to the base. They feel vindicated that 2016 showed that if you energize a sliver of the country, that that can be more powerful than kind of having this you know, more even keel message that we're going to appeal to a little bit of everyone. Steve Bannon, I think, rejects that premise. And he says that I'm all about energizing this sliver and that that's the, the way to win. The most explosive executive order, crafted to create shock and awe, was aimed at blocking people from seven predominantly Muslim countries from entering the United States. Former conservative radio host Charlie Sykes Everybody understood what the travel ban was designed, in fact, to do. They understood the symbolism. They understood the message that it sent to his base. And what they were saying was, promise made, promise kept. Protection of the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. That's big stuff. The reaction from the other side was immediate. More outrage. A scene of outrage at JFK Airport in New York, where protests all across the country, the reaction from around the world. As a symbolic issue to his base and to his opponents. Journalist Matt Vine. As a marker in American life and in the American political debate when we moved into an entirely different, dark kind of period. And I think it's, its significance is hard to overstate. Swift reaction from around the country. Now protests. Outrage and backlash. Wesley Lowry, Washington Post. These actions that Trump does to appease his base, to excite his base, have incited the resistance against him. The travel ban is just one of the most important days of the Trump presidency. Not just because of the policy itself, and what it says about us as Americans, much less the people themselves, who are now imperiled. Unclear if they could come to the United States. But it was the thousands of people rushing the airport. In Seattle, police actually dispersed some crowds with pepper spray. It was a day It was of high the drama. day when it felt like democracy may be crumbling at its seams. We're, and what might still be here when we wake up in the morning? There's still going to be 7,000 people at LaGuardia? 
and a DCA and a Dulles? Are they gonna start storming the gates and seizing refugees from TSA agents? Former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. It, it struck me that this administration was gonna be a lot different than any other we had seen. That they were simply not gonna abide by any type of process, that there was a certain amount of spontaneity and impulsiveness about the way this administration was going to operate. will meet with more Republicans in Congress. President Trump will meet with conservative leaders to talk about... He had incited conflict with the travel ban, and now he would move on to another polarizing issue, Obamacare. Congressman Tom Cole. The Republican Party had, uh, for three elections in a row, run on the repeal of Obamacare. So I think there was a sense that, hey, we owe our electorate, they put us here for this reason. To get it done, Trump would rely on Speaker Paul Ryan and the Republican establishment. Former strategist Steve Bannon. In the sequencing, repeal and replace, and that's where the establishment, and Ryan says, I got this. We voted 50 times, 50 times to repeal this. This is something we own. We know this better than anybody. President Trump met earlier this evening with members of the Freedom Caucus to discuss... But like the, the travel ban, Trump's effort was immediately mired in angry opposition. GOP pollster Frank Luntz. There's still half of America, which is a significant percentage, that did not vote for Trump, did not vote for Republicans in Congress, and did want to repair Obamacare, but didn't want to dump it. And when you start with the most contentious issue, what are you going to get? Joshua Green, Bloomberg Businessweek. All around the country, you had these, these hugely energized town halls, and legislators would go home and get screamed at by constituents who were terrified that you were going to take away their health care. I had the resist movement and the protesters around the building. The problem is Obamacare has just collapsed. Tea Party Congressman Dave Brandt. There's just a huge reaction. I had town halls with people in churches swearing and lobbing F-bombs at the pastor, if that helps set the tone. I'd try to finish sentences on health care, et cetera, whatever. Folks would just, ah. That's what we were facing, right? People were saying, you're going to take away health care from millions. I'm like, ah, boo, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's hard to have rational dialogue. Still is. Susan Davis, NPR. They were kicking a hornet's nest of millions of Americans who are now terrified that they could lose their health insurance coverage. And take the billionaire's money and give it to that woman. It just created an environment that I also don't think Republicans were really politically ready for. Single payer run by the government? Oh yeah, it's got problems, but it's also got elections, and you're gonna find that out in 20 years. What Trump has done is he's made Obamacare popular. The Obamacare. Is that Obamacare is Trump's frustration right grew as the legislation became bogged down. That is twice as popular as the president. The vagaries of the legislative process are lost on him. Peter Baker, New York Times. On The Apprentice, you just simply say you're fired and that's the end of it. The idea of working with the legislature is kind of, it's a mystery to him. And so how is it these Republicans can't get this done? What is it you're doing, Paul Ryan? You told me you were going to get this done. Steve Bannon. Repeal and replace becomes a fiasco. They're totally and completely incompetent. They're not ready to govern. They're just not ready to govern. 
The Senate is scheduled to vote on the latest version of the bill to replace Obamacare. Trump watched as the Senate prepared for a crucial vote on health care reform. On health care, a vote that's too close to call at this point. The key vote, Republican Senator John McCain, a longtime Trump adversary. Former Washington Post reporter Ed O'Keefe. It was the most dramatic night on the Senate floor I had seen in all my years up there. Mr. Barrasso. The vote's ticking away, the vote's Mr. ticking Blunt. away, and McCain's on the floor, Mr. Blumen. but he's not voting. Mr. Blunt. Mr. Booker. Lisa Desjardins, Mr. PBS Mr. NewsHour. You saw Mitch McConnell looking more and more unhappy as arms were closed, and you could tell from the body language on the Republican side that they were Mr. very Durbin. worried. Mr. Durbin. John McCain walks up to where the vote clerks are, and he lifts his hand very dramatically. McCain, with a thumbs-down gesture, shocked the chamber. <gasps> Senator Susan Collins. You could hear audible gasps in the chamber, and those gasps of surprise came from both sides of the aisle. No. In the Senate chambers, you could hear the shock. First gas. Another devastating blow to Republican senators as an Obamacare repeal failed. Nobody was expecting John McCain to vote no, and the way that he did, Frank Luntz, obviously had ramifications not just in the Senate or in Congress, but in the White House as well. And how it would make everything more difficult because members are fighting with each other now. Breaking news right now, the Republicans' Obamacare repeal failed in the Senate tonight. The vote, 49 to 51. The dramatic collapse of the health care effort. The president had been watching on television. Former press secretary Sean Spicer. We were in the dining room off the Oval Office. There was profound disappointment that we were that close and that had spent a lot of effort really believing that we could finally do something when it comes to health care. Republicans tried and have failed again. So it was just a huge disappointment. We are continuing to follow breaking news on Capitol Hill, where lawmakers dealt a serious blow to the president's... His first major legislative effort went down in defeat. Reporter Josh Green. Trump was angry. He was angry because he was failing as a president. All he had to do was click on cable news to see that he wasn't being portrayed as, as the winning, swashbuckling, powerful president he wanted to be. It was a decisive moment. He would have to unleash his attack politics onto the Republican establishment itself. Breitbart editor Alex Marlowe. He goes with the corrupt, feckless Republican establishment instincts for the first couple months of his presidency, and it backfires. What other conclusion could he draw other than now it's time to try some stuff on my own? This time, he turned to the base, spoke to them directly. You can thank Congress, the same people that can't even give us H-care. He targeted congressional Republicans, especially Leader Mitch McConnell. Senator Mitch McConnell said, I had excessive expectations, but I don't think so. After seven years of hearing repeal and replace, why not done? Susan Davis, NPR. The president's frustration was not subtle, right? Particularly towards Mitch McConnell. I think he just saw him as a failure. Can you believe that Mitch McConnell, who has screamed repeal and replace for seven years, couldn't get it done? Trump is using the most powerful weapon he has, which is Twitter, to humiliate him repeatedly, to rake him over the coals, to let his followers know this is Mitch McConnell's fault. He's failed you, not me. Mitch, get back to work and put repeal and replace 
tax reform and cuts, and a great infrastructure bill on my desk for signing. Frank Luntz. He's feeding it. Trump is feeding hostility towards Congress, and that tweet storm galvanized Trump voters to turn against Congress in a way that I've never seen a governing party's supporters engage in. He had exploited division, separated the country into us versus them. And now he would target a new enemy, the government itself. Tapping into conspiratorial fears he called the deep state. Former campaign advisor David Urban. There's a, a permanent class of federal employees that don't necessarily agree or voted for this president, um, and that aren't thrilled to see him in power. They're working internally um, against the president. Trump's war with the deep state began with FBI Director James Comey, the man who had delivered the dossier and was investigating Russian election interference. Unable to get him to back down, Trump fired him. Breaking news, James Comey has been removed from heading the FBI. This is a statement... TV news helicopters were waiting as Comey left the FBI field office in Los Angeles. This is a very closely kept secret here at the White House. I am told only a handful of top Trump advisors. is finally fired FBI Journalist Howard Kurtz. When the president fired Jim Comey, there was an explosion, a huge eruption in the media and the country. You started hearing Donald Trump compared to Richard Nixon. This was another Saturday Night Massacre. This was another Watergate. Former Trump aide Cliff Sims. This is a, a moment where you really understand the feedback loop that Trump kind of thrives on. I make a decision, and then I'm able to immediately go and watch the reaction. Stunning news, even for President Trump, who has been known to shock people. This is a president using his power to prevent himself falling under the justice system that we all have to deal with. The bombshell announcement, something that was completely unexpected to anyone. What are the talking heads saying about this? How is it being framed? How is it being covered by the media? Trump would escalate the conflict. In a campaign-style rally, a defiant President Trump. Rallying his base against the media, Back in his happy place, the Justice right? Department, and the FBI. I did you a great favor when I fired this guy. I tell you, I did you a great favor. Look at what's happened. Look at how these politicians have fallen for this junk. Russian collusion, give me a break. It's basically a kind of divide and conquer kind of strategy. Jonathan Mahler, New York Times Magazine. And so as long as the country is sort of divided and he has his defenders, he can undermine those who are attacking him. The people, take a look at the intelligence agencies. Honestly, folks, let me tell you, let me tell you, it's a disgrace. We got to get back down to business. It's a disgrace. Former DHS Secretary Jay Johnson. I was surprised and unsettled that we have a new president who is attacking institutions of his own government, his own intelligence community, his own law enforcement community. Uh, these are people who work for him and are sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. So it, uh, this was an unprecedented historic situation. To his supporters, he cast himself as a victim. 
This is the single greatest witch hunt of a politician in American history. There is no collusion and no obstruction. I should be given apology. You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history, led by some very bad and conflicted people. His tweets provided the script for Fox News. Fox and Friends starts right now. The president is really mad. He tweeted this out as the phony Russian witch hunt continues. This is a very dangerous witch hunt. It's only because I think this is a witch hunt. And put an end to the political witch hunt against President Trump. Journalist and author Josh Green. If you turn on Fox News, if you click on Breitbart, he is this hero victimized by forces who are unfairly attacking him. If you turn on CNN, if you open up the New York Times, really looks a lot like obstruction of justice. Trump is a failing president who's very unpopular. has no one to blame but himself. And increasingly, those two worlds pulled apart. The partisan divide became even deeper than it was in the election. It became a chasm. And in many ways, it's an unbridgeable chasm. He thinks he's still on The Celebrity Apprentice. It was between James Comey and Meatloaf, and, well, the loaf won again. President Vladimir Putin said today that Russia had nothing to do with the firing of FBI Director James Comey. James Comey thought it was a prank and started laughing. But to be fair, that's also how Trump reacted when he won the election. He was like, okay. example of just how ugly it was all becoming. Charlottesville. It, in many ways, it was the worst moment of the first year of his presidency. Dan Balls, Washington Post. Because it was so, it was so obvious what a president should do in a situation like that. We have breaking news tonight with that alt-right white nationalist rally. Take a look at this. Jews will not replace us! Universities, the torch-wielding white nationalists coming face to face. Demonstration by white nationalists at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Journalist Josh Green. What you had in Charlottesville was these alt-right people, many of them marching in Trump's name. See them marching with torches, and it looked like something out of Nazi Germany. Neo Nazis and white nationalist protesters were forming, protesting plans to remove a statue of Robert E. Lee. Former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke praised President Trump. Determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump. Also arriving, counter protesters determined to confront the white nationalists. This is what they represent. Wesley Lowry, Washington Post. Charlottesville was a clash between these forces. The forces of these far-right groups, and then counter-protesters. 
folks who say, why are there Nazis in our streets? We're going to go get them out. Armed right-wing militia arrived. Hour by hour, the tensions grew. Violent clashes between white supremacists and counter-protesters broke out earlier today. We see, time and time again, videos the far-right protesters beating black attendees of the counter-protest. Charlottesville under siege. As police in right gear try to restore calm. And then, the unthinkable. A man drives his vehicle into the crowd, killing Heather Heyer and wounding others. This was an incident that was clearly the tale of these far-right white supremacist powers emboldened and out of control. Panic and horror in Charlottesville. A car slams into a crowd of counter-protesters at a white supremacist woman protest. woman was killed when a man drove his car into a crowd, injuring 19 others. Trump watched the violence. His response at this explosive moment would be crucial to both sides of the divide. Jonathan Martin, New York Times. When this happens, the instinct of most presidents would be heal, unify, mourn. But that's not what he wants to do. It's not his impulse. But he has to say, say something. But we're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. Former Politico reporter Annie Carney. He had prepared remarks that he was going to read, um, you know, condemning the violence in Charlottesville. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. The words of many sides were ad-libbed and added by Trump. Um, they were not in his prepared remarks. Thank you very much. Thank you. The ad-lib immediately provoked an uproar. Former Congressman Charlie Dent. That didn't go over very well because it was clear that one side seemed to, you know, initiate this altercation. It was the nationalists, these white nationalists. They were largely responsible for the violence. Arriving in New York City, the president faced a firestorm. When the president won't stand with you against Klansmen who showed up with guns... ...didn't respond explicitly condemning right wing. That's how neo-Nazis see President Trump. They are clapping for him. I think he's making very clear who and what he is. Talks like a white supremacist. It's likely a white Some advisors wanted Trump to apologize, but not Steve Bannon. Not a tough call for most politicians, and so if you can... This is where various elements in the White House, in the West Wing, get in his ear about trying to get him to do something that is not in his wheelhouse, not in the way he rolls. You can't do that. Let Trump be Trump. The nation voted for it. It is what it is. It's just not, if you try to do it, it'll be phony and everybody can spell the phoniness. Trump kept it going. Excuse me. What about the alt-left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt-right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? Journalist Annie Carney. He's so fiery, he's so angry, and he's really getting in personal back and forth with members of the press. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute, I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. Author and journalist McKay Coppins. We saw Trump completely 
unbound from convention, tradition, even democratic norms, I would say, and just fully speaking his mind um, in an unfiltered, uh, and I think to a lot of people, unnerving way. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And, and, and if you reported it accurately, you would say. Excuse me, they didn't make themselves down as you, and you had some very bad people in that group. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Michelle Sendor, PBS NewsHour. I'm a reporter who has reported on race for a long time, and I never would have imagined the person in the office of the president um, calling people who go to a Nazi rally very fine people. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? Thank you all very much. Thank you. What about the Nazis who support you? It's probably the first time where the country realizes this is going to get bad. And it is the beginning of a time in America where people um, realize that America is not just a place where racist ideals can exist, but it's a place where racist ideals can be fueled by the White House. Peter Baker, New York Times. He is about division. His, his presidency is predicated on that. He wants division. He craves it. He, he enjoys uh, finding seams and 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 driving right into them, you know. There's no fight he doesn't want to be part of. Uh, and there are plenty of fights he'd like to start. The fight is the goal. It's, 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 uh, um, there's no reward from his point of view in unity. There's a reward in fighting. President Trump is being criticized by fellow Republicans for being too- Some Republicans broke ranks and came out against him. White supremacy, bigotry, and racism have absolutely no place in our society, and no one, especially POTUS, should ever tolerate it. Mr. President, you can't allow hashtag white supremacists to share only part of blame. There's no moral equivalency between racists and Americans standing up to defy hate and bigotry. I reacted in a way that most of my colleagues did as well, that this was uh, not where a president should be. Former Senator Jeff Flake. This was a layup. This was easy. <laughs> you know, if there's white supremacy in any form, you condemn it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the easy thing to do, and he, and he didn't. And thought, oh man, uh, that, that's really drilling down on the base. Judy Woodruff, PBS NewsHour. With that statement, it sent a signal to some of the most intolerant elements in the country, in our country, American citizens who are racist, that he was listening to them, that he respected that point of view, um, that he wasn't gonna walk away from them. And, um, and that's, that's been a lasting message that's been out there. President Trump is holding a Make America Great Again rally. In President Trump had been compiling an enemies list. The media, the FBI, and now Republicans who weren't sufficiently loyal. Dan Balls, Washington Post. If you're an elected Republican, um, Donald Trump has made it clear that if you go against him, he's going to go against you, and you will pay a price for that. 
and we saw it in any number of individual cases, and it doesn't take very many of those. I mean, all it takes is two or three of those cases for people to get the message that, um, that there is enormous risk if you go against the president. One example, Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake, who had emerged as a Trump critic. Well, I'm thrilled to be back in Phoenix in the great state of Arizona. As always, Trump would attack, rallying his base against Flake. They all said, please, Mr. President, don't mention any names. So I won't. I won't. Former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. It's about going back to the base to demonstrate how popular it is to be with the president, particularly in Jeff's own state. And nobody wants me to talk about your senator, who's weak on borders, weak on crime. So I won't talk about him. No, I will not mention any names. Very presidential, isn't it? Very presidential. When the president of the United States rolls in, and you have a rally that has thousands of people in it, Jeff pays attention. Dan Balls. For Donald Trump, everything's about Donald Trump. You're either for Donald Trump or you are against Donald Trump. And he wants to, he wants to encourage everybody to see it his way. So he, he steps into all of these uh, and makes his voice heard and makes his muscle felt. It was effective. Flake's own voters turned on him. I think he knew uh, at that time that I was out of step uh, with a lot of the Republican base, that, uh, that he represented more of their feelings uh, than I did. We will make America great again. Thank you, Arizona. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Flake understood what it meant. His Senate career was over. Senator from Arizona. I decided to, to pull the pin. None of my colleagues knew it at that point. I told a few of them, you may want to come to the floor. But anger and resentment are not a governing philosophy. The impulse to scapegoat and belittle threatens to turn us into a fearful, backward-looking people. In the case of the Republican Party, those things also threaten to turn us into a fearful, backward-looking minority party. Josh Green. I think there was relief among a lot of, of, of members of the Republican Party that finally somebody was coming out in the open and saying this, because on some level, this is what most of them felt. And they'd been afraid to say it. They'd been afraid because they were afraid of Donald Trump. They'd been afraid because they were afraid that his base would defeat them in the party primary the next time they were up for the election. As Blake walked off the floor, he left the other Republicans with a choice. Dan Balls. He's basically drawing a line. If we are going to be a successful conservative party, uh, we have got to turn away from what Donald Trump is doing to us and the way he is leading us. It's kind of a moment of truth for the Republican Party. What kind of a party is this going to be? Uh, who's going to lead this party? But Flake soon discovered there would be no Republican insurrection. Susan Davis, NPR. There isn't a rush to stick up for Jeff Flake or side with him. Everyone just kind of stays on the sidelines and wants to stay out of it. Uh, a lot of, when you would talk to Senator, what did you think about Jeff Flake? Oh, I didn't see what he said. You know, I missed it. I was in a meeting. Like, there wasn't um, 
much ruminating on his decision. Former GOP strategist Steve Schmidt. We have a guts and courage crisis in American politics. We have politicians who go to great effort to get elected to go to Washington, not to fight for great principles or causes, but to see who can be the best bootlicker. The president had won. Corey Lewandowski. Jeff Flake thought he was going to raise his profile to the point where he would have an opportunity to be something bigger than what he is. And what happened? He made a terrible calculation. He went against Donald Trump, who's a proven winner. And now Jeff is a guy who also used to be a US senator. Two more GOP congressmen announcing that they will not seek re-election in a 2018. President Trump from two Republican senators calling In time, more than 40 other Republicans would leave. Of more than a dozen Republicans who In the Trump era, there's no room for disagreement. Steve Schmidt. The era where the senators, the members of Congress asserted their prerogatives, their power would stand up to a president, seems largely to be over in the United States today. It looks like President Trump is going to get his Christmas wish. The most sweeping rewrite of our tax code. The first legislative win for President Trump's dominance Trump. would culminate in front of the cameras in the Rose Garden. It was a ceremony for the passage of his first major piece of legislation, a tax cut. It's really, I guess it's very simple. When you think you haven't heard this expression, but we are making America great. Again, you haven't heard that, have you? One by one, congressional leaders, some he'd previously ridiculed. Mitch, how about you starting? Came forward to praise President Trump. Mitch McConnell. Uh, well, let me just say, Mr. President, you made the case for the tax bill, but this has been a year of extraordinary accomplishment for the Trump administration. We've cemented the Supreme Court right of center for a generation. You've ended the overregulation of the American economy. Thank you, Mr. President, for all you're doing. Corey Lewandowski. What the Republican establishment now know is Donald Trump is unequivocally the leader of the Republican Party. He is the one who sets the tone of what takes place in Washington. He is the leader of our country, uh, both politically and from a legislative side of things. Former Speaker Paul Ryan. Something this big could not have been done without exquisite presidential leadership. Mr. President, thank you for getting us over the finish line. Thank you for getting us where we are. New Yorker writer Susan Glasser. Donald Trump has conflated Republican Party loyalty with loyalty to himself to an extreme degree and has been remarkably successful over the last several years in what amounts to really a hostile takeover of Republican Party that was actually quite united against him in 2016. Orrin, say a few words, please. Former Senator Orrin Hatch. Well, Mr. President, I have to say that you're living up to every, everything I thought you would. You're one heck of a leader, and we're all benefiting from it, and we're going to make this the greatest presidency that we've seen, not only in generations, but maybe ever. God bless all of you. Paul Ryan just said, how good was that? It's... In essence, this became Trump's Republican Party. Dan Balls. The, the testimony that people gave there is hard to take back. Orrin Hatch, for example. 
but McConnell and Ryan and others, who gave Trump an enormous amount of credit. That, that created a unity within the Republican Party that had not existed. Author and former conservative radio host, Charlie Sykes. This was a fight for the soul of the Republican Party, and Trump won. There's no question about it. And it's not so much that Trump took over the Republican Party, it's that the Republican Party completely capitulated to him. They're all united in believing that in order to survive politically and not lose in a primary, they have to stick as close to him as possible. Even when he puts out racist tweets, you cannot criticize him in public. Even when he engages in the most reckless behavior, you cannot break with him in public. 